This is a podcast from Destiny Church Edinburgh. Wonderful. Good morning. Any heart supporters? Any hip supporters? May the best team win. I'm delighted to be with you here in Destiny. Um, Thank you so much for this invitation to share with you um, this morning. It's a real honor. Um, Some of you I've met over the last number of weeks. Most of you I don't know. Um, A few faces as the other guy I know well. But it's great to be with you as we, I don't know if you come to church to wrestle. Anybody up for wrestling this morning? Because we're going to wrestle with a huge question. If God is good, why is the world so rubbish? If God is good, why is the world so rubbish? And we're going to wrestle with that. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to ask some questions. What's wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? We're going to ask ourselves, are there any answers to what is wrong with the world? And we're going to finish by looking at an amazing story from God's word, which shows us a God who is sovereign and a God who is good. What's wrong with the world? Let me tell you this following story about a guy called Mike. Mike, according to his best friends and those who know him well, is a Buzz Lightyear lookalike. It has been suggested by his closest friends that he should give up his job as an outdoor sports instructor and do kids' parties. Fortune. Mike has also been described as his closest, by his closest friends as the nicest person to exist since Jesus, pretty good. Buzz Lightyear lookalike, the nicest person to exist since Jesus. But Mike has not had an easy life, not had an easy ride. His daughter Lucy, when she was born, she was born with a profound physical disability, which means that his daughter, who's now three, will never walk. Mike's 32, and he was recently diagnosed with a degenerative arthritis condition, which means that eventually he's going to have to stop his job that he loves passionately as an outdoor pursuits instructor. One of his close friends on a journey in a car with him said, Mike, tell me, where does this leave you with God? Mike reflected, there was a pause. And then this was his response. I guess I've realized life is fundamentally tough, but God is good and faithful. But yeah, life can be a bitch, can't it? Life's a bitch, but God is good. Anybody this morning believe me that God is good? And yet, life can be a bitch. Jesus warned us, each day has enough trouble of its own. Peter, as he wrote, as a suffering follower of Jesus to suffering disciples of Jesus says, do not be surprised 
at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I guess you good guys in destiny this morning, probably there is no one here in church this morning who is not or has not suffered. Don't be surprised, Peter says, as if something strange were happening. When I suffer, one of my instincts is to say, why is this strange thing happening to me? Guys, I don't know you this morning, but were I to get close to you, I know I would see behind your smiling faces, and you are most, well, some of you are smiling. You would tell me your story, and there would be pain and hurt. Peter says, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be surprised if there's suffering. Jesus says, you will have trouble. That's probably not a verse that you've stuck on your fridge at home, is it? You will have trouble. And somehow in this culture and in this world where we have made so many advances in technology, where life expectancy increases, yet how fragile are we? How easily we collapse. And in our celebrity-focused, gone crazy culture, where we look at celebrities and think they don't face suffering, neither should I. We need to understand this morning that it is normal that life sometimes hurts. As a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus. I am proud of Jesus. I love him and I follow him. He has saved me. He has given me eternal life. He has prepared a home for me. It is wonderful to follow Jesus. Anybody else? You may have noticed that when you became a Christian, you were not given a bubble suit that protects you from pain and suffering. You're given Jesus. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have an amazing power within you and a glorious future. But sometimes life is a bitch and it's hard. So let's ask ourselves the first big question as we think, if God is good, why is the world so rubbish? Let's ask ourselves, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? Here is Paul, follower of Jesus, passionate church planter, an amazing guy. This is what he writes to the Christians in Rome. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's going right back to creation story and Adam, death came through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. What's wrong with the world is a great question to ask. I guarantee that all of you have an opinion. I have a great window cleaner. His name is Jimmy. If you need a window cleaner, I will recommend him to you. He's just a good Edinburgh window cleaner, whatever that means. But Jimmy has an opinion on what's wrong with the world. In my life, which has taken me by God's grace from Northern Ireland to France and from France to Scotland, I've engaged with people from different, different cultures and different backgrounds, asking them about this question, what's wrong with the world? And I find that mostly, most answers fall into one of two categories. First of all, the problems with the world answer. What's wrong with the world? Cancer, earthquakes, AIDS, famines, floods. The second main group of answers to the question what's wrong with the world come under the title of problems with bad people answer. War, religious fanatics, genocide. Abuse, murder, 
rape. People will probably not use the word, the term bad people, but essentially they're talking about what human beings do to one another as they cause suffering. Has ever struck you as interesting that if you ever ask the question, what's wrong with the world, that nobody says nothing's wrong with the world? You could be like I have been, and this might make you slightly jealous, but you shouldn't be jealous because you're in church. But you, if you were in the situation where I've been, I've been in the Alps skiing. It's glorious. And there's this thing in the, in the sky called the sun. And it gives heat, even in the winter. Strange. I know in Edinburgh we go, hmm. But you could be skiing in the Alps, glorious, majestic creation around you. The sun shining and it's warm. You stop after a wonderful day skiing. You order a chocolat chaud, a hot chocolate, and a pain au chocolat. You know what that is. And you listen to what a wonderful world. Even in that moment, you couldn't, I couldn't, look at another person and say, there's nothing wrong with the world. Do we not instinctively know that there's something wrong with the world? Even when we're in the Alps with our hot chocolate and our pain chocolate. Where does this sense that things are not right come from? You ever ask yourself that question? I asked Jimmy, the window cleaner, why do you think the world's so rubbish, Jimmy? I'll not tell you what his answer was. But something deep inside says to all of us, whether you're Jimmy, the window cleaner, or a student, or married with kids, or older, whatever. Something says the world's not right. Rachel was watching one of David Attenborough's um, famous programs on the animal kingdom, and she was watching it with her little nephew, Charlie, who was three. She knew that in the program, to which Charlie was totally transfixed, there was about to unfold the following scene. There was a zebra. And at that point you go, ah, oh, that's rubbish. There was a beautiful zebra. But there were bad lions. I feel like I'm in a pantomime or something. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie's watching and his Aunt Rachel knows this is not going to end well. And as the beautiful zebra ran close to a pride of lions, the lions saw it. One of them ran at great speed, pounced on the zebra. Oh. And that was the end of the zebra. Rachel looked at little Charlie, who's three. <laughs> wow. And she thought, he's just going to burst into tears. This beautiful zebra that he so loves has been mauled. Charlie paused, and instead of bursting into tears, looked at his aunt and went, uh-oh. Now tell me, why is it that in the world of animals, we will go, uh-oh. Even Charlie somehow grasped the fact that the stronger would devour the weaker, and that was okay, uh-oh. When you suffer, when humans suffer, when you see it and when you experience it, you never go, uh-oh. Something deep inside says, this is not right. I've stood by graves where people have been, who have died have been buried and gone, this is not right. Something inside says, 
this is not right. I suggest to you that the main reason that we have a deep inward reaction to what's wrong with the world is because there is a creator God. And God, when he created the world, created it perfectly. That is so hard to imagine, is it not? Perfect. No disease, no disaster, and no death. And humanity rebelled against God and said, no thank you, we will live life as we please. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death by sin, in this way death has come to all of us because all of us have sinned. Folks, this morning, I have to be honest, and God's word is honest, that despite what might be going on out there in our lives, suffering and hurt is there, but at the heart of it lies these two fundamental issues, sin and death. I don't know who the first person was in the Destiny Church this morning. No idea. Probably somebody a long time ago, one of the guys that just opens up and does good stuff. But before the first person walked into this building this morning, do you know something? There was no sin in this place. And I'm sorry to tell you, the sin quota has just gone through the roof. Because you bring your sin, and I bring mine. None of us are perfect. We sin. We offend God. That is our number one issue. And the consequences of sin? Death. Sin and death. Where are the answers? Before I jump to the answers, and I've got good news for you this morning, okay, so we're going to get there. Are you hanging in with me? Okay. The good news is even greater when you understand how bad the bad news is, okay? So don't get depressed on me this morning, but we've got to wrestle with the reality of a messed up world and our messed up lives. The problem with me, answer. What's wrong with the world? The Times newspaper in 1910 ran a column for its readers where they invited people to respond to the question we're thinking about, what's wrong with the world? The author and well-known literary figure G.K. Chesterton wrote in, Dear Sir, what's wrong with the world? I am your sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. One of the shortest letters ever to be published in a newspaper. So yes, there are problems out there, and they hit us and they hurt us. But sin and death are part of our lives. And they will kill us. Unless there are answers Anybody want to look at the answers now? Because there are answers. What's wrong with the world? Let's think about the answers. What are the answers if the world is so rubbish? A common answer, and perhaps you're sitting in church this morning and this is your heart, instinctive answer. If the world is rubbish, then I push God away. I came across a fascinating article this week, which was entitled, Where Are the Honest Atheists? I hope some of you honest atheists are in church this morning. 
This is a fascinating article written by a guy who is an atheist. Listen to what he says to this idea of pushing God away. If atheism is true, it is far from being good news. Learning that we are alone in the universe, that no one hears or answers our prayers, that humanity is entirely the product of random events, that we have no more intrinsic dignity than non-human and even non-animate clumps of matter, that we face certain annihilation in death, that our sufferings are ultimately pointless, that our lives and loves do not at all matter in a large sense, that those who commit horrific evils and elude human punishment get away with their crimes scot-free. All of this and so much more is utterly tragic. And it is. This is not good news. And yet people often in their pain and suffering will push God away. But it's not just a philosophical approach. It becomes a personal approach for many people. About a year and a half ago, I sat with one of my brother-in-law's And it was one of those kind of, you know, when God just gives you a moment in your life that you need to speak to somebody. Does that ever happen? And I was staying with my brother-in-law in Northern Ireland, and it was half 12 at night, and I just wanted to sleep. And I couldn't get to sleep. And I knew God was saying, go down and speak to Douglas. And I said, I'm tired, God. I want to sleep. And the Spirit kept nagging at me, and I went down. And from half twelve to half three, Douglas and I sat at his kitchen table. He knew my story of suffering. I'll share that with you later. And I knew his story. He had lost in a period of a few years a young child, and his wife. Douglas and I had gone as 16-year-olds on a mission team to France. And when suffering hit Douglas's life, he pushed God away. He said to me, Paul, there cannot be a God who would allow this suffering in my life. Therefore, I push him away. Can I ask you this morning that if life has hit you so hard that your instinctive gut reaction is to push God away, can I plead with you not to do that? That is not the answer. You only end up still with your suffering and no answers. Atheism is not good news. Jesus Christ is. I'll say it again. Atheism is not good news. Jesus Christ is. Please don't push God away. Instead of pushing God away, can we this morning grasp God's hand? I want us to look at the book of Job. Um, I think the verses will come up behind me. Um, We're going to look at some verses from this amazing story. Job chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9, and then we're going to jump down to verse 20. This is this amazing story of a man who suffers way beyond probably what any of us have suffered. Chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and he is upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Ah, does does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. We're going to jump down to the next verses, but before we do that, if you don't know the story, let me just put it into context. There then floods into Job's life, disease 
disaster and death and absolutely turns his world upside down. Look at the next verse, verse 20. At this, that is after this intense suffering, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. Grasping God's hand when life was truly a bitch. He loses his wealth, his status, his relationships. He loses his kids. He eventually loses his health. Did you notice what it says that Job feared God? Go back to those great images you had at the start of church of the awesomeness of God. Job didn't have PowerPoint, (laughs) but he knew how great God was. And he feared God. He stood in awe of the greatness of God. And then suffering comes, wave after wave after wave, crushing blow after crushing blow. What I like amongst many things with Job is his emotional realism. It says that he tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. I love being in Scotland. But is there not something sometimes in our Scottish culture, and it's not just Scotland, where we are supposed just to be stoic? And life hurts, but fine, I'm okay. I'm not okay. And Job doesn't say he's okay. He is hurting. And I say to you this morning as you're in church, God None of the leaders here are asking you to be stoic, be real, and if there is emotion, then let that emotion express the grief and the pain as Job did. And did you notice this great word? He worships God. I mean, I've worshipped God this morning and been led by the guys, and it's been brilliant, wasn't it? But I think I'm right in saying it was easy. No offense to you guys. How hard is it when life falls apart to worship God? And somehow he's grasping God's hand and saying, God, this is horrible. I worship you. And there is a sweetness when your life is broken. And by God's grace, you hold his hand and you worship him. And maybe this morning as we get towards the end of the service and we sing again, maybe you'll just bring something from your broken heart and worship God. I can tell you if you do that, your worship will rise high and touch the throne of God. Job worships and in all of this, he did not sin. An incredible story of incredible suffering of a man reaching out to God and taking his hand. In suffering, whatever shape and form that may take, be it like Job's or be it different, In suffering, there is always loss. You lose something. Something that was is no more. Someone 
who was is no more. But one of the things that Job teaches me is this, that while God has given him wealth, health, status, family, he's known as the greatest man in the area where he lives, Job receives all of those as gifts from God, but he holds them lightly and holds God's hand firmly so that when he loses those things which he loves and for which he is thankful, he is by God's grace able to let go and worship God. I pray that your suffering will drive you deeper into God, that you would let go of those things that God is asking you to let go of, and you would grasp God's hand. If anyone this morning, in any way, for whatever reason, through what's going on in your life, feels that you need to hold God's hand that little bit firmer, would you just raise your hand? Grasp God's hand. I have been blessed in my life with many, many, many things, including family. And I am, and I know it's hard to believe, I am a grandfather. Ah. Oh. And I have two wonderful grandchildren. They live in France. Oliver, Oliver, Eleanor, Eleanor. It's great in French, isn't it? Oliver, Eleanor. Eleanor's only a few weeks old. Oliver's three and two months. And often occasion I find myself in France walking with Oliver as he began to take his first steps and he would look up and he'd go, Grandpa. Tien la main. Hold my hand. And I would go and his little hand and he would try to walk. And he'd wobble. Now, why did he not fall? Because his hand was strong? Or because his grandest hand was strong? Who was holding who? I was holding him. And sometimes when we are struggling and suffering, we grasp God's hand. Can I guarantee you, because Scripture says it, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. No one. Anyone who has been given to me, Jesus says, cannot be taken out of my hand. So though it's hard, put your hand up and let the Father and the Lord Jesus hold your hand in that double grip of love and walk with you through the suffering that's in your life. So we've asked what's wrong with the world. We've thought about some of the answers. And at this point, I have no idea of the time. <laughs> How long have I got? <sighs> okay. Can you guys hang in with me for, can I have 10 minutes? Okay, what's wrong with the world? Ultimately, these huge issues of sin and death. The answers we begin to see, not pushing God away, but grasping his hand, and we see it beautifully lived in the life of Job. And I want us to finish with the book of Ruth. It's an amazing story. And we're going to read the first number of verses and then down to verse 20. Just hang in with me as I read this, and then we'll take some truth from it and bring it into our lives. This is Ruth chapter one, 
And this is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth, and after they had lived there about 10 years... Both Malin and Killian died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. But Naomi, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, that is in Judah, by providing food for them, she and her two daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And I'm going to jump right down to the end of the chapter. Here is Naomi. She now has just Ruth as her daughter-in-law. They're going back to God's people. This is what it says, verse 19. So the two women, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I want us just to think of this incredible story and ask ourselves this question. As we think of suffering in the world that we live in, what does a sovereign and good God look like? There are two key truths in this story and in all of Scripture. And they are this, that God is sovereign and that God is good. God is sovereign. He is the highest authority over every authority, over disease and death and sickness and demons and Satan and hell. He is sovereign over the circumstances of my life. And God is good, always good, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And you and I, in our suffering, need to hold together God's sovereignty and God's goodness. Put up your right hand and let that be God's sovereignty this morning. But God is sovereign over your life and your suffering. And by God's spirit and his grace that you would also hold up your left hand and believe that God is good. Put your hands down. God is sovereign and God is good. The sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, I guess through life circumstances and the truth of the word of God by the Spirit, have been burned into my life. In 2007, after my oldest boy, Scott, got married to Laetitia in France, who have two children called Oliver and Oh, they got married in 2007. We had gone there as a family. We came back. My wife, at that stage, Isabel, wasn't feeling well. 
We went to the Western General Hospital in Edinburgh and she was diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer. We sat in a consultant's room, a skilled and competent oncologist. He broke the news as gently but as honestly as he needed to. And he waited. My wife looked at him and as only she could, she called him by his first name, not doctor, he said Larry. I'm thankful for who you are, your medical skill, and all that you will bring to bear upon this disease. But Larry, I want you to know the outcome of this journey is not in your hands, it's in God's. I've never seen an oncologist nearly fall off his seat, but he nearly did. And in that moment, Isabel's hand, and by God's grace, my hand held on to God who is sovereign and the God who is good and is doing stuff I have no idea about, but he's doing something. And Ruth teaches us that when suffering hits, do not be like Elimelech and push God away. He takes a decision in his suffering Elimelech to leave God's people and go to Moab. Lots could be said about Moab, but if Moab was, you know, sometimes on a quiz show, you get the wrong answer and it goes, uh uh. As a follower of God, as soon as he thought of thinking of going to Moab, the red light would have gone, uh uh. Do not go there. But in his suffering, he leaves God's church, God's people, and goes where he shouldn't go and pushes God away. And the suffering in his life, I guess, is wasted. Naomi, his wife, instead of pushing God away, reaches out and holds on to God. She says, God, I am bitter. I am struggling. This is hard. But I'm not letting go. And she held his hand. And Ruth, anybody like a good love story? A great love story. Ruth. Lots of things I love about Ruth. First thing is this. She's a new convert. She's just come to faith. She says to her mother-in-law, your God will be my God. That's her conversion. Isn't it great to be converted and saved? Three if you say yes. Wow. Isn't it great to be converted and have faith in God and in Jesus? And Ruth comes to that point. Your God will be my God. And she starts this journey in her life with all of her pain, taking those baby steps as a young Christian, as it were, trusting God. She comes back with her mother-in-law with compassion and concern for her. They come back to God's people where they should be. They get strength, they get compassion, they get help. And unknown to Ruth, God is beginning to play out an amazing story. And in Ruth chapter 2, we meet the man of all men, Boaz. And he's a strong man, and he's a good man, and he's a godly man. And he's in love. And he knows how to treat a girl. Guys, guys. 
And it says in Ruth chapter 2, there's this lovely phrase that in the midst of all this suffering and questions, Naomi's bitterness, holding on to God, God, you're sovereign, God, you're good, what's happening? It says that Ruth went out to work in the fields because they needed to get food because they were destitute and homeless. And there's this great phrase. It so happened that Ruth was working in the field of Boaz. Not Boaz, Boaz. And God is working in hidden and unseen ways. And the story unfolds that testifies to his goodness. I can't quite remember the date, and so I'm going to ask Mandy for the date when you guys were skiing in France. January. January the 23rd, what year? 2010. Thank you, Mandy. January 2010, a group of folk from my church, Bellevue, and a couple of other friends went skiing in the Alps. They got there, and on the Sunday, their first day out skiing, One of the best and most competent skiers, a guy called Douglas, had an accident and he's airlifted off the slopes and he's brought to the hospital in Chambéry in a coma. And the phone call comes from Chambéry, from Mandy and others who were there. This has happened. We need somebody to come out who speaks French. I just happened to get the phone call. You know that Ruth, so it just happened that Ruth was in the field of Boaz. It just so happened that I'd spent 17 years in France and could speak some French. It just so happened when I got that phone call that I was free to immediately get on a plane and fly out to Chambéry. It just so happened there were seats on that plane for me. It just so happened that we got to that hospital, assessed the situation. We're able to speak with the French doctors, bring it through to the team and explain to them. It so happened that when I came back from having spoken to the medical staff, that as I sat down in the waiting room, it so happened of a, in a room with about a dozen or so chairs, there was one free seat, one. It so happened I sat in that seat. It so happened that the person sitting beside me held my hand just in a moment of prayer Her name was Mandy. And it so happened that in all of our questions and uncertainties of what was going on around us and in us, that we fell in love. And on the 18th of of June, May, Eighteenth of May, just testing. Eighteenth of May last year we got married. It just so happened. Folks, there's lots of stuff wrong with the world. Sin and death. The answer is not to push God away, the answer is to hold his hand. And the answer is by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, to believe that God is sovereign, that God is good. God is sovereign, put your right hand up. I pray you believe that for your circumstances. If you don't believe it, don't put your hand up, please don't. And I pray that you believe for your life and your circumstances that God is good. And you hold on to those. I'm going to invite the worship band up and they're going to lead us in a song in a minute. And as I get ready, I just want us to finish with this. I'm just going to say a couple of more things, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, to respond. I want us to finish as we pray, and then as the band lead us, with all of our questions and our hurts, but with our hopes as well. I want us to come to the cross of Jesus. One of the most amazing things of being a Christian is that we have a God who knows what it is to suffer. He takes on flesh and blood. 
He knows what it is to hurt. He dies on a cross. Why does he die on a cross? Because he takes my biggest issue, sin, as if it was his issue, and dies. So I want you to come to the cross this morning and embrace the God who suffers, Jesus. But I want you to go to three days after the cross to an empty grave and a risen Jesus. Not only the God who suffers, but the God who triumphs over sin and death and hell. And I want you to come to the God who is the Holy Spirit, who would dwell within us, comforter, that he might pour in his oil of comfort to you this morning. We're just going to close our eyes and I'm going to pray and if you want to respond as I pray then that would be great just if we each close our eyes and if this morning there's someone who's been in church and God has spoken and you feel for the first time ever you want to come to the cross and believe in this amazing Jesus who takes your sin that you might be forgiven if that's you this morning would you put your hand up pray and if this morning you are a follower of Jesus and life just hurts and it's hard I would ask you to come as well and in some way just to respond in your heart if that's you this morning would you put your hand up that you might believe again in a God who's sovereign and a God who's good and then the band will lead us in our final songs. God, you are awesome. You are perfect. You are wise and you are good. Thank you that in your greatness you also want intimacy with us. You know us. You love us. And we come to the cross with the brokenness of our lives and its sin. Lord, we repent of our sin and turn to you, Jesus. We're sorry. We ask that you will give us the gift of forgiveness. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell within us and fill us again that we may walk through life holding your hand. This is our prayer brought in the wonderful name of Jesus. And together as God's people we say, Amen.